Welcome to Maison Pur, the podcast. I'm your host, Molly Hill. This podcast is all about natural living and how to get there without stressing out. We'll discuss easy tips to help create a healthier home, natural ways to care for our bodies, and so much more. Welcome back to the podcast. Today I have expert guest Paola Julie. She's here to share all about everything from detoxing to gut health to how our bodies work with our liver, lymphatic system. Um, we're covering actually so much ground in this episode, but it was such a fascinating conversation and I certainly learned a lot. I think you will too. So let's jump right in. Hi, welcome Paola. Well, hi Molly. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I <laughs> I know I've t- emailed with you about some of these topics that I've definitely been chatting with friends about. It's something that I think that the the listeners are really going to get a lot out of today. So I'm excited to have you on to talk about all of this. I'm super excited to be here too. Thank you so much. So just to start out, do you want to give everybody a little bit of your background and maybe talk about the work that you do? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, in terms of my education, I have a master's in public health. I focus on health management and also environmental toxins, environmental health. Um, And I'm also a certified um, holistic nutritionist. And that's what I currently do. I used to be an environmental health specialist. uh, So that's how I got into the whole detox um, field. Um, I'm very familiar with toxicities and how they affect the body. Um, and now as a holistic nutritionist, what I, what I do is work with people from all over the world to tackle any kind of environmental toxin that they have been exposed to. Um, we focus a lot on gut health. That seems to be one of the major things that um, I come across the most. Also, a lot of um, like autoimmune conditions um, and then anxiety, depression, vagus nerve dysfunction, those kinds of things. Um, I got into this whole space because because of my own health issues. And I'm pretty sure you're probably familiar with that because it seems like a lot of people in this space are coming into it because of their own health issues. Um, in, in my experience, I had a lot of um, gut health issues. So IBS since I was a child. Um, and then um, it turned it, it actually transformed into, into something a lot more four years ago, where I started having a lot more symptoms, a lot of mast cell activation kind of symptoms. Um, and this is where I, I freaked out, honestly. I, I honestly didn't know what to do. I was seeing doctors, functional doctors, naturopathic doctors, um, conventional doctors. Nobody could figure anything out. Um, and that's when I was like, okay, this is it. I need to take this into my own hands. I started doing my own research. I got certified at the time to become I'm a holistic nutritionist, um, healed myself, and now I use the same tools to heal other people. <laughs> so that's pretty much yeah. it in a nutshell. Wow. That I mean, honestly, I do hear from so many people that they the whole reason they turn to more natural living is because of their own health problems. But that's gonna be quite a journey to feel helpless and looking for answers and like not even know where to start. 
Oh yeah, it, it's it's really hard, and that's something that I see a lot with clients when they come to me. They have already seen multiple doctors, and they always feel a little hesitant. And I kind of understand because I used to be um, in their shoes. But yeah, it, it's the same story where you've just seen so many people. You feel so hopeless. Nobody really knows what's going on. It's all about. Um, going after the symptoms, kind of like a Band-Aid. So nobody's really looking for root causes. And what I'm really interested in is really kind of peeling the onion, getting to the root causes, to the core, and working with those things where all disease stems from. Yes, absolutely. I wholeheartedly believe in that as well. I think it's we live in a a system right now that just manages the symptoms that pop up without really digging deep to figure out what's going on beneath, like what's causing the symptom, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Yeah. So you mentioned gut health because that is something I think a lot of people overlook when they're trying to get to the root of, of whatever it is that they're going through. So um, I wanted to dive into that a little bit. What are some of the keys to good gut health? Um, I love that you're asking this because I, I see a lot of people with gut health issues. That's one thing that I specialize in. Um, but I also, I would say most people nowadays have some digestive issues. Um, and it truly really boils down to just so many environmental toxins that we are exposed to, especially pesticides. And there's a lot of um, research coming out on this, on how pesticides negatively um, impact the gut microbiota. So that's that's a huge one. But then there's also lifestyle. That's one thing that I like to focus a lot when, uh, with my clients. I know supplements play a role. A lot of people love supplements and they're talking about L-glutamine and all different bunch of stuff to heal leaky gut. But really, that's not, that's not a sustainable option. It's not something that we should encourage to do long-term, what we really, really want to do is focus on lifestyle. And what I mean by that is really teaching people to um, be more in sync with the sun. And the reason for doing that is because it really helps with the circadian rhythm. When you have a robust circadian rhythm, you're going to sleep better. You're going to have better hormone health. Now, when you're sleeping better, sleep is amazing because it, it modulates um, GI motility. And we need that to work properly. We need the migrating motor complex, which is the contraction in the small intestine to work properly. We need peristalsis to work properly. This is in the large intestine so that we can move all toxins out of the body, move any waste from the food that is being um, ingested. All of that needs to work very well for the digestion to, digestion to work well. Um, Another thing would be really um, teaching people to eat in a rested state. We need people not to be rushing. I see a lot of people eating in their cars and just running around, never paying attention to what they're eating or being on their phone, watching TV or whatever. They're not present. We really need the brain to know that food is coming so that the body can be prepared for that rest and digest phase. That is a very important because this is a time when the body starts producing, producing digestive enzymes and we need those to work properly. Uh, one of the biggest problems that I see nowadays with people, especially with SIBO and parasites, candida overgrowth, they're not chewing their food properly. They're eating really fast. Uh, digestive enzymes are not being produced the, the way they should. So the food is just going through the small intestine, um, not being bro broken down properly. So there's a lot of fermentation going on in there when it shouldn't. And this is when we see a lot of bloating and it, you, you see people complaining that they look six months pregnant and all of that. So um, we really need to work on that, um, teaching people to basically sit with their food for a little bit, take a few deep breaths before they even start to eat, to really stimulate the digestive juices and, and um, promote a healthy digestion. So this would really be my top tips. Um, another one would be 
not drinking any liquids while eating. Um, and I'm going to put that out, out there because I see a lot of people doing this. Um, and a lot of people ask me why, because I see people drinking alcohol and drinking water and whatever. Um, we don't want to be drinking liquids while we're eating. The reason for that is because it dilutes your stomach acid and we need that to be optimal. It's very important, not only for triggering pepsin, which is an enzyme that breaks down protein, but it's also important because it sterilizes everything that we're eating. Any bacteria that's coming in with the food, candida, um, or even parasites. So we need that to be optimal as well. So those three would be my top recommendations for anybody really. Yeah, that makes so much sense, especially about just, you know, I think about if you know the food's coming, if you're smelling it, if you're paying attention to it, you get really hungry and you get that sense in your stomach, you know, and you can even feel it in your mouth, maybe more saliva. So I think, yeah, just sitting in front of a TV or scarfing down something quickly in your car, it doesn't really like get you in the state where you're ready to eat. Correct. Yes, absolutely. If somebody is wondering, you know, if their gut health is off, what are some of the signs and symptoms that would be a big red flag to them that something's off with their gut health? Um, so it's important to, first of all, mention that um, it, it needs to be something chronic. So if, let's say, once in a while, like every three months or so, you get acid reflux, that can be normal. That's like normal because a lot of people freak out from something like that, but that's normal. Maybe you had um, a big meal, a fatty meal, and that caused acid reflux or GERD symptoms. That is okay. Now, when you're dealing with something that comes and goes and it's um, common, maybe you have it weekly or monthly. Now, this is a problem. And symptoms that I would look for would include uh, bloating because this is a huge one. A lot of people complain about that either after eating or just progressively getting worse throughout the day. Um, another one would be, again, acid reflux reflux or GERD, if this is very um, frequent. Another one would be either dealing with constipation, diarrhea, or alternating between the two, which is kind of like IBS mixed. That's what doctors would call it. Um, now, th there's a, there's, these are the main ones. There's probably other ones because when we are looking at gut health, it really impacts so many other things in the body. I would even say when, if you're dealing with nutrient deficiencies, I wouldn't go necessarily for just supplementation right away. I'll look at your gut and try to assess whether it's working optimally, whether the food that you're eating is being broken down and then the nutrients are being absorbed the way they should be so that they can be utilized. Uh, so it's not so much about let's just give you more supplements, but it's about let's see whether your gut is functioning properly in the first place. So nutrient deficiencies would also be another thing to look at. Um, and there's probably a bunch of other symptoms, but this would be the most common ones. And if somebody does identify, okay, I've got this, it's, it's becoming common, it's, you know, I'm having this weekly um, how would they support their gut and, and try to get it back on track? Um, that's a great question. So definitely um, implementing those three lifestyle modifications that I talked about, the um, syncing with the sun so that you can have a robust circadian rhythm, um, allowing for um, allowing some time between eating and the food in front of you so that the body, the, the brain can trigger the body to start producing digestive enzymes, not drinking any liquids um, when you're eating. And then the other thing would be really depending on what's really going on in the GI tract. A lot of people nowadays, and I see practitioners doing this a lot, they promote this 
kill, kill, kill mentality where they just want to kill everything, kill the parasites and kill the bacteria and kill the candida. It's not so much like that, really. Like if we look into it, it really depends on what you believe and what you support in. We have germ theory. We also have terrain theory. I'm a big supporter of terrain theory. The big difference between the two is that the germ theory supports the idea that a foreign um, organism makes you sick. Terrain theory, on the other hand, really looks at your internal environment. So how the body is internally. Are you having a healthy environment? Do you have a lot of toxins that you're holding onto? Are you moving things properly? Are the drainage pathways moving properly? All of this can impact bacteria that already exist in the human body. We have a lot of bacteria. A lot of people say we're more bacteria than we are human. I don't know how true that is, but there's a lot of bacteria in the human body. Um, A lot of people have H. pylori, but you don't see everybody having an H. pylori infection. Now, the environment inside of our body can trigger this um, organism to pleomorph. What that means is change form and they can become pathogenic. So really the question is, is it is it the bacteria that's the problem or is it really your environment, your internal environment that's the problem? And that's a, that's a huge thing that I like to work on when it comes to gut health. Um, I like working on detoxification, getting your drainage pathways moving, getting um, you to be able to absorb nutrients so that you can utilize them, um, getting those toxins out, whatever it is. And this can be very different for everybody. It can be mycotoxins from mold. It can be heavy metals. Um, It can be pesticides or persistent organic pollutants, which are so common nowadays. Everybody is exposed to them. Um, So this is really what I like to go after, fixing that internal internal environment, which then um, helps this pathogenic bacteria recede um, so they can go away. Yeah, that makes so much sense too. So um, I didn't include this in my questions, but would you mind talking a little bit more about the circadian rhythm and also like trying to get, um, you know, there's a lot of information out there about how to sync with it, but some of it's very basic. Like when you first wake up, go outside and get direct sunlight for 15 minutes up to more advanced things that I've read about. But what are some of the basic ways that people can just begin to to work with that? Yeah. Um, so really, it's how we were supposed to live naturally. But I think nowadays, everything we do is just so unnatural because we're indoors most of the time, whether we're working from home because of COVID or maybe we are at work um, and we're under artificial lights all day long. So we're missing that sunlight, um, all the different wavelengths that we can get from the sun. It's not just the light that we see. There's also light that we do not see. Um, You can get all the benefits from those kind of wavelengths when you are outside. So the goal really is to be able to spend as much time outdoors as you can. Now, the best thing that you can do is really watch the sunrise if you can, and also watch the sunset. A lot of people don't get to do that. So in those cases, I would say just spend as much time as possible. If you're somebody that uh, spends a lot of time indoors under artificial light, make sure that you are wearing blue light blocking glasses so that you can block that blue light that is coming from your phone or the computer, because that's not natural. You're not supposed to be in an environment like that. And then taking five minute breaks during the day, every two hours or so to just step outside and gaze at the sky. Um, if you want to do it the, the the other way, which is the optimal way where you get to watch the sunrise and the sunset, that is amazing because once you start doing that um, and you're watching the sunrise in the morning, that really, what it does, it, it resets your circadian rhythm. Um, but it also gets the ball rolling when it comes to hormone production. Now, the more sunlight you get to 
be exposed to during the day, that helps with balancing your hormones. So that's a huge thing because there's a lot of women nowadays with hormone imbalances. So the more time you get to spend outdoors in the sun, that will help with hormone balance. It will also help with the mitochondria as well. Mitochondria loves the sun. It's one way to troubleshoot them if you having if you're having issues with that drainage pathway because the mitochondria is also a drainage pathway, the last one actually out of the eight. Um, and um, and then at night, doing the same thing with the sunset where you're exposed to more infrared light, which is the red sky that we, or the pink sky that we look at. Um, it really just helps reduce that cortisol and prepare you for sleep. So as, as it gets darker, you start producing more melatonin. Um, and and th- this is how you start um, resetting the circadian rhythm, strengthening the circadian rhythm. The more you do it, the more consistent this becomes, um, the better it's going to be. The more in tune you are with the sun, um, you're going to support your body in so many ways that will will create the perfect environment for you to heal. When the circadian rhythm is dysfunctional, which is with most people, it's going to be almost impossible to heal no matter what you do, whether it is supplements or diets, you really need this to be very robust for you to be able to heal at a cellular level. You know, I was just telling my husband that I was noticing that I feel so much more rested during the school year than I do now during the summer because I we have to get up really early and I do unintentionally watch the sunrise during the school year. And, um, you know, I just feel like we're, you know, going even in the car, but I do, um, you know, walking outside doing things. And then the, the summer, we're outside a lot during the middle of the day, but not as much like first thing in the morning or watching the sunrise. And I was wondering, you know, just talking out loud to him, I was like, you know, I've been feeling less rested, even though I feel like at times I'm getting more sleep and I wonder what it is. And I feel like maybe that's part of it. Yeah, it can totally be. Yeah. Uh, once you get in sync with that, it really helps many, many things. And it'll take forever. That'll be like a whole other episode to just talk on that. But it really supports you in so many ways. It's so powerful. But in your case, I'll say if you're not getting to do that, you can do the five minute sun breaks. That'll be a good way to do it. That's what I do as well. I don't get to catch the sunrise. I do catch sunset on most days, but I do get a lot of uh, time outdoors, just sun breaks every two hours or so. Yeah, that's great advice. Diving into, you're right, because that could be a whole podcast episode, because I feel like now I have like 10 other questions about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we'll, I'll, I'll stay on track here. Um, so I kind of wanted to talk about the detox protocol. You talk a lot about that on your Instagram, and it's it's so fascinating. And I feel like it's something that so many people you know, they might have a little bit of information and know something about it, but really not have a good understanding. So first, what does it mean to detox? Um, I love that you're asking that because I think there's just so much misconception around that. Um, A lot of people think of detox as detox teas or green juices, all of that, like whatever marketing um, is being done nowadays on social media. Um, But that's not really what what detoxing is. And there are three phases to detox. That's how I like to to describe it. The first one is really avoidance. Um, And this is the easiest one to do. It's free. All you got to do is just try to stay away from toxins as much as possible. If you're buying products that you'd buy regardless, try to make sure that they don't have toxins in them, whether this is cosmetics that you're putting on your body or filtering your water. That's another one that is super important, making sure you're getting a good filter, not drinking tap water, Um, opening up the window so you can let the air flow. And the more air circulation you have, the less likely it is to have um, 
airborne toxins in, in your home or getting an air filter if you can afford one. Air Doctor is a great one for that. It's probably one of the best in the market right now. The reason why I say that is because it's the only one that can actually trap mycotoxins, which is a huge issue nowadays. Um, so making better choices when it comes to reducing the exposure, that would be my first um, step. The second step would be drainage pathways. We cannot do any detoxification program or protocol if the drainage pathways are not working properly. And what do I mean by this? There are eight drainage pathways um, in total. The last one is the mitochondria. The first one is the colon. And then we move to the liver. We have the bile ducts. We have the lymphatic system, the lungs, skin, um, glymphatic system, and then the mitochondria. All of these different systems or organs, what they do is they're, they're kind of like highways. This is where all the toxins, the trash is, is going to uh, be removed through. So we want to make sure that these pathways are open, they're flowing, um, nothing is getting stuck because if they are, we won't be able to get rid of anything. Now, the most important pathway is the colon because this is where ultimately most things will drain into. So if this one is blocked, if you're somebody that is constipated, you cannot detox. We really need to get the, those bowels moving for you to be able to get toxins out of your body. Um, another thing would be sweating. That's huge as well. We have different ways to get rid of toxins. It'll be through the feces, so pooping, it would be through your urine, tears, saliva, and sweat. So if you can get these fluids out of your body as much as you can, um, even feces contain a little bit of um, fluid, a little bit of water. This is how you're going to get rid of um, toxins from your body. So we really want to support all these drainage pathways to get these fluids moving. And then the third phase, which is more active, and not everybody is ready for this. That's why I always like to do things in order. I never put a person through a detox protocol if they're not doing the first two steps because it's worthless, really. Um, the detox protocol is very personalized. So this would be more specific. It's not something I can dive into detail because it really depends on the person. And I say that because when we choose binders, they are toxin-specific. So if, let, let's say, we're talking about mycotoxins, um, Clays, like zeolite clay, can be used for aflatoxin. They can, can be used for ocratoxin. But there, there are other mycotoxins that just don't work well with these kinds of binders. So in those cases, we would have to choose specific binders for the toxin and um, use them at the right dosage to pull out all these toxins from the body. Um, Another misconception with detox is that during this phase, the third phase, which is the detoxification phase, it doesn't just take place on, in the liver because a lot of people will just focus so much on the liver. The liver is amazing. It's one of the most important organs in the body, but this is not the only site where detox takes place. Detox takes place within the cell. Um, and these cells can be found in the liver. They can be found in the intestines. They can be found in the kidneys and also um, on your skin. So, there are four phases of detoxification. We have zero, phase one, two, and three. And all of this takes place within the cell. The, the Phase one and two take place within the cell. Phase zero is when the toxin enters the cell. Phase three is when the uh, not-so-toxic metabolite leaves the cell. This is after it's gone through all the phases. And then binders come in to bind to this toxin and pull it out so you can pee it. Uh, poop it and sweat it, whatever it is. Um, so this is what really detoxification is, using binders, making sure that those pathways in the cells are working properly, and all of those need nutrients. So you want to be eating a nutrient-dense diet to make sure that the pathways are working. You don't want to be on a plant-based diet because you might be missing amino acids that are very important. You want to be getting enough 
uh, vitamin C for the glutathione. You want to be getting enough magnesium, which is so depleted in um, our food nowadays because you need that magnesium for the ATP, which is energy basically needed to get those um, metabolites out of your cells so that you can eliminate them. So there's a bunch of stuff that we can get into in terms of like how it works. But yeah, you really want to be eating a nutrient-dense diet. You want to be incorporating binders to make sure that you're pulling things out. And this is phase three, so detoxification. That's so fascinating. And it's it's amazing when you just think about how our body works. But I mean, I do think right now, though our bodies are equipped to detox, it's like we're so overwhelmed with our environmental factors that are just coming in and and wreaking havoc. So we do need some help with it. 100%. Yeah. Um, I hear a lot of people talk about the dose makes the poison. And that is not true. When we talk about persistent organic pollutants that are endocrine disruptors, we've seen that they can have a negative effect in very lo- in very low doses, but also a negative effect in very high doses. So dose doesn't always matter. It really depends on the toxin. And I I truly believe the more we start learning about the effect that these toxins have in the body, we will pay a lot more attention because every study that we have really is just a snapshot in time. We haven't been able to look at humans over a long period of time to see how this mixture, because we're exposed to hundreds or, or, or even thousands of these toxins on a daily basis can affect us. So I think there's still so much that we don't know, but it's something that should not be taken lightly. We should really pay more attention to this now more than ever. I totally agree. So if somebody's hearing this and they're like, wow, do I need to detox? <laughs> um, what are some of the signs that you think someone should really take it seriously and and look into doing a, a real detox? Um, so I would say nobody can go wrong with a detox program. Now, this doesn't mean that you should go and do a six-month detox if you don't need it, but you can benefit from even a t- 10-day detox if you do it properly. And what I mean by that is, again, avoidance, supporting those drainage pathways and using binders. You need to use all of those things to really call it a detox program. Otherwise, it's just, it's not detox. Um, So I'll say anybody can really benefit from it. The people that would need it the most is really the people that are dealing with chronic infections um, that seem to be going through multiple treatments and never really getting to the bottom of anything. The people that know, they're very aware that they've been exposed to environmental toxins, whether they have seen mold on their walls and they're they're aware that they've, they've been exposed to it. Um, and also people that are sedentary, they're not sweating a lot, they're gaining a lot of weight because a lot of these toxins are lipophilic. They love to get stored in the fat tissues. Um, and even I'll, I'll go as far as saying that somebody that is trying to lose weight should definitely incorporate some form of detox program into that weight loss program. Because every time you're losing weight, you are releasing so many more toxins. This is the time where you're going to be the most toxic. Um, those fat cells are really protecting you. This is, this is one of the reasons why you have them. They're really trying to trap this toxin so that they don't impact your organs and organ systems. So when you start to lose weight, they're going to be released and you really want to be incorporating a detox protocol during that time. Yeah, that's really interesting, especially about the, I've often heard that what gets stored in the fat is it's a lot of toxins. And so it's, I was wondering about that. If people lose weight, does it just get released into the body? But that makes sense to do a detox while you're losing the weight. Yes, 100%. That is probably one of the best times to do it because you will for sure release a lot of toxins. Thinking about that, you mentioned mold. We've mentioned a few things, but what are some of the common 
culprits that uh, are kind of in our environments that someone would need to detox from? So there's a few different groups that we can look at. It would be toxic elements, and this would be mercury, cadmium, uranium, lead, the heavy metals that we know about. And they're found in the water, food, um, dust, consumer products. We also have um, natural occurring toxins, and these are mycotoxins, mold toxins, which are pretty much everywhere, really, um, even in their environment, like outdoors. But we don't really get to get sick from those, and that's a whole other topic. So it's really what's indoors that can make us uh, feel sick. The other one would be pesticides, and this includes fung- uh, fungus- fungicides, herbicides, insecticides. Um, glyphosate is one of the most popular ones. Um, this has have been found in very high amounts in fetal cord blood, um, we have studies from this from uh, babies. I believe it was like hundreds of them found in uh, fetal cord blood. And this is very concerning. Um, another one would be persistent organic pollutants. And these are very concerning as well because they're just they're everywhere in the environment. We're all getting exposed to this and they're not going anywhere soon. Um, another one would be plastics. And these are also huge, like BPA, PBCs, uh, phthalates. Um, So yeah, there's a bunch of different um, toxins out there. It really depends. The culprit would really depend on what you have been exposed to. There are tests that we can do. We can test your urine. uh, We can test the blood, hair. Um, The only downside with this test is that we don't really know how much you're accumulating. We know for a fact that you're being exposed to these things because we're seeing them come out of you, but we don't know how much you're actually holding on to. Um, But by having an idea of that, at least we'll know what kind of exposures you have, what you're exposed to the most. So we can create a detox protocol that targets those specific toxins. I mean, that definitely makes sense because everybody's in a different environment. And while we're all getting a little bit of of all of that, um, I think you know some things are going to affect some people differently. And I also think about the mold thing, and we don't need to get into it here because that's a whole other thing. But that is wild if people really look into that and like the outdoor versus indoor and what's the mm-hmm. the root of what's really creating that issue. Right. Um, so one thing I wanted to talk about that I think some people get totally freaked out by and other people are calm is parasites. I think I shared with you that I've had a couple of group chats with friends about it. And it's so interesting to see people's reactions. I think some of my friends, especially that have lived in other countries where it's more accepted or talked about are very like nonchalant about it. Whereas some people are like, they don't even want to deal with it because they don't want to see if something was to come out of them. <laughs> yeah. um, but parasites are something that are probably more common than most people think. So um, is it something that people need to be concerned with? And do you think most people have them? Um, so I always say, if you have a pulse, you have parasites. What that means is if you're alive, you have parasites. Um, so everybody has parasites. We, we all have them. They're part of our microbiome. There's nothing really to be worried about. They can become a problem, however, when you are dealing with chronic infections quote unquote, chronic infections. Um, And I say that because they can carry toxins. They can carry toxins six to eight times their weight. That's a lot of holding on to toxins. So every time they were actually going after parasites, you're not just going after parasites alone. You're going after anything that they're carrying. And this is toxins. This is viruses. This is bacteria, um, a bunch of other stuff that can live within parasites. So doing a cleanse like that can be very, very beneficial for somebody that just doesn't seem to be able to break through. It seems like whatever they try, they're just stuck. Nothing is working. They've tried multiple 
multiple things, they might really benefit from a parasite cleanse. Another thing would be gut health. If you have consistent um, gut issues, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, it's worth it looking into parasites because they can be one of the big culprits in that scenario. Um, But yes, to get back to your question, everyone has parasites. 30% of parasites are microscopic, which means you will not see them. Um, but I can tell you to this day, I have never had a client that has not passed um, a roundworm. And these are like the long ones. Um, I've never had one. And I'm still waiting for that person that will be like, oh, I haven't seen anything. But that hasn't happened yet. Um, and even in those cases, they still have microscopic parasites. We're always passing them. Um, the body is always trying to get rid of stuff. Every time that you're pooping, you're pooping out bacteria, you're pooping out parasites, whether you see it or not, you're pooping out candida, everything. That's, that's just how you cleanse the body. It's very natural. Um, so yes, I don't know if that answers your question. It does. I mean, I think I'm kind of in the middle from like understanding and accepting that they're all inside, they're inside all of us. But then like hearing that you've yet to have a client that didn't have a big roundworm is a little, um, yeah, I don't know. So do you think that I, of course, I'm more in the natural living, like all my internet and social media feeds are like that. So I, I come across all the time, like these parasite detox protocols and they're all different, but is there, do you feel like you, someone would need to work with somebody like you to do a parasite detox or, um, is there a protocol that you would recommend to people? Um, so one of the companies that I use the most for parasites is Cellcore. And you've probably seen this if you, I don't know how long you've been following me, but I've been posting about Cellcore for a while now. Um, I love mm-hmm. their products when it comes to parasites. I don't use anything else when it comes to parasites um, because they work. For some reason, they've done just an amazing job at targeting parasites. Now, when it comes to whether working with someone or not, it really depends on the person. For somebody that just wants to do a maintenance um, cleanse, which would be every few days um, a month, or it can be every few months, you can just use a kit. They have a para, um, it's called para kit. So it's for, just for parasites. And you can do this every month during the full moon. The reason why we do it during the full moon is because during this time, parasites are the most active um, and they are mating, they detach from the t- intestinal wall. So they're just more vulnerable. So we want to go after them during this time, but you can do it really at any time. This is just the best time to do it. Um, and you can do that for maintenance. Now, if you are trying to do a more comprehensive cleanse where you know you've been dealing with chronic issues for so long and that maintenance program just is not going to cut it for you, you might want to work with a practitioner. And the reason why I say that is because a practitioner can personalize it for you. Cellcore has um, protocols in place, but those protocols, again, are general. I always tell people because they think they come to me and they think all I'm going to do is just give them the Cellcore protocol. And I'm like, that's not how I work. Every protocol that I create is personalized to you. I will use Cellcore uh, supplements because I love what they have for parasites, but the way I combine them, the dosage, um, how long you're supposed to take them, everything changes based on what we're dealing with, based on the parasite, based on the other issues that the person has. So in that case, it's more... um, it's better to work with a practitioner than do it on your own so that you can do it right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think especially since there might be other underlying things happening. So you want to make sure you're addressing all of that at once or not at once, but, you know, making sure you're not missing something while you're working with that. Yes. Yeah. Cause it might not even be parasites. I always tell people, I talk about parasites a lot because it, I just find it 
fascinating. Um, I was introduced to this whole world last year. So it's very uh, recent for me as well, but I just dove into it because I just, I couldn't believe it. I was just like, when I passed my first parasite, I was like, this is, it was so shocking to me. So since then I've just been <laughs> diving so much into this because I want to learn more. Um, but really not everybody has an issue with them. Like it, it's not like across the board. It can be an issue, but not for everyone. So it's important to work with somebody to rule that out because if it's not a problem, you, you're just going to waste time doing what, a three, four, six month parasite cleanse when you don't need it. So it just really depends on the person. Yes. Yeah, totally. And I remember, um, I don't know when, but at some point you posted on Instagram that you had passed a really large one. And I was like, cause I'm like, I feel like I should do, I have not done one and I feel like I should, but then I'm like, Oh boy. Like, I feel like I'd get freaked out. I mean, it must feel like good that it's out of your body, but then also just a little like, wow, that was inside of me. <laughs> Yeah, it gave me anxiety. I'm not going to lie. The first day, it gave me so much anxiety. I stayed in bed the whole day because I just couldn't believe it. It, it. Yeah, it was such a shock to me. I was like, I just can't. I've seen pictures from other people at that, at that time, but like I never saw mine. So I, that was just so scary. I don't know. It was such a reality check. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure. I'm sure that's why it's like... Not, I don't like to stick my head in the sand and like just pretend things aren't real. But I'm also like, do I really want? Do I want to know what's inside? I don't know. Right. <laughs> so another important system in our body that you do touch on a lot too is the lymphatic system, and I'm a big fan of supporting that. Um, but I wanted to ask you, why is it important? So the lymphatic system is a very important system in the body, just like the cardiovascular system. It runs anywhere in the body. The difference between the two is the cardiovascular system has a pump, which is the heart. So it gets everything moving. The lymphatic system does not have a pump. So really the only way to get that moving is by movement, uh, by moving your muscles, you massage the lymph, um, the, the, the lymph. So like everything is moving. Um, the lymphatic system also just moves in one direction. So that's very interesting. It's not like the cardiovascular system. Everything is just going towards one direction. Everything is moving towards nodes where all the action takes place, where um, antibodies are created to fight any infections, where toxins are cleared. Um, so it's, it's a very important system in the body. And in a lot of cases, it gets stagnated. I would say people that are sedentary, people that have um, trouble sweating, People that cannot poop, like if they're constipated again or have issues with their liver, they, they most likely also are dealing with a stagnant lymphatic system. But it is a very important system. If you are dealing with toxicities, chances are you need to get that lymph moving because things are just not moving properly in the body. Okay, so what's the best way to support your lymphatic system? The best way would be movement. The more you move, the better it is for the lymphatic system. Another thing would be daily bowel movements. Again, this is where everything, most of the things will drain into. So we want to make sure that you are pooping every day so that that lymph can also flow properly. Um, another thing would be dry brushing. I recommend dry brushing to a lot of people, whether they do it before a shower, after a shower, inside of a sauna. It doesn't really matter. Um, it's, it's just a very practice to get into. Rebounding can also be amazing, um, doing it maybe five to 15 minutes every day if you can tolerate it. Some people can't, like if you're dealing with pots or whatever, like getting dizzy, maybe not a good idea. So it's really personalized as well. Um, and then um, really just moving. Infrared sauna is also great. So if you get to sweat, can that is amazing for the lymphatic system as well. And then if we want to get into herbs, 
Um, that's that's more like burdock root is amazing for that. Calendula is amazing. Echinacea, uh, red root as well. All of them help the lymph move and get purified. So those are great options. Yes. And I love that you mentioned an infrared sauna because I think that helps with so many other things, even going back to the beginning of what we were talking about and sweating being an important um, detox uh, or way that our body can detox. I think people underestimate just being able to sweat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't think a lot of people um, care so much about that. Like they don't really focus so much on the sweating or maybe they don't consider it as something that is important during detox, but it really is. I would go as far as saying that if you're doing a detox protocol, you really want to be sweating. You shouldn't attempt to do a detox protocol if you're not able to sweat because a lot of toxins, um, they will come out through the sweat. And there are toxins that have not been found anywhere else but the sweat. Um, There are studies on this where they checked blood and urine, hair tissue, stool, and they checked the sweat and nothing showed anything but the sweat. So it's very important that we sweat because some toxins, that's the only way they can get out of the body. That's so interesting too. But it's like, if you didn't know that and you, it was just building up and you have no idea, you know, cause I do, I hear people say like, I don't really get movement. I don't do anything to sweat, but I'm doing other things to, to detox or to make sure I'm keeping my, you know, my bowels moving and things like that. But I do think sweat, cause even some hormones can be metabolized through your liver and then you pass them, but, um, sweating can actually assist with that and like, you know, help detox some of the stuff even quicker. Absolutely. Yeah. It should be, it should be a daily practice if you can really. And it doesn't have to be an infrared sauna. I know many people cannot afford one. They don't want to spend money on it. That's totally fine. Um, you can just work out, you know, like it's easy. Just do something that's free, work out, sweat as much as you can that way. Um, that's fine as well. And if you cannot sweat like that, you can also just do a warm bath while you drink, let's say ginger tea that can also stimulate sweating. Oh yeah. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. So, um, and just before we end, I wanted to talk about the liver for a minute because it is, sometimes it's overrated, but I think some people don't understand fully the role that your liver plays. So I just wanted to talk about what the function is of our liver and how we can also support our livers. So the liver is a very important organ. Um, It's one of my most favorite, um, but again, it's not the only detox organ because most people think that's the only one. That is not true. Um, It does uh, support detoxification. A lot of detox takes place in the liver, but it has hundreds of functions. Um, It creates proteins. It stores uh, fat-soluble vitamins as well as B12, iron, copper, um, and it's uh, it also regulates blood sugar. So there's there's these are just a few, but there's just so much that the liver does. Um, I think it's like 500 different functions or something like that. Um, so it's it's really a lot. It's a very important organ. It's the only organ that can regenerate itself as well. Um, so that's that's pretty cool too. Um, and what I would say really the the biggest way that you can support the liver would be to just avoid toxins as much as possible. And this includes alcohol. A lot of people drink alcohol. Um, Reducing that exposure, that is super important. Reducing um, any toxins that you're getting through your food, whether it's pesticides or just a lot of added sugar like fructose corn syrup, that can be very bad. It's associated with fatty liver. And once you're dealing with fatty liver, it really impairs detoxification a lot. Um, Things just start going haywire in the body. So we really want to protect that as much as possible. Um, 
So avoidance is really huge with the liver. And then the other thing would be just eating a nutrient-dense diet, trying to buy organic foods as much as possible, sticking with grass-fed meat um, or pasture-raised chicken and eggs. Um, and then when it comes to veggies, you don't always have to get them organic. Um, you can use the Dirty Dozen list, which are 12 different um fruits and vegetables that have the highest residue of uh, residue of pesticides to know whether you should get them organic or not. So anything with very high pesticides, you want to buy it organic. Otherwise, you can get away with um, not buying everything organic if you cannot afford it, because I know it adds up. Um, but that's important. You really want to make sure you're having a nutrient-dense diet, very low in pesticides and other um, environmental toxins. And then in terms of supporting it with lifestyle modifications, it would really be, again, going to the bathroom because the liver produces bile, which is stored in the gallbladder and then released into the small intestine. Now, bile, it, it does help with fat um, digestion, but it also has antimicrobial properties. It also carries a lot of toxins. Um, and the bile goes through the gallbladder into the small intestine and then the large intestine for elimination. When it's not eliminated, because let's say you're constipated, you're you're not going to the bathroom for days, it's just going to be reabsorbed. And you're going to reabsorb a lot of things. It could be hormones, it could be toxins. Um, so you really want to make sure you're going to the bathroom, I would say one to three times a day to make sure that you're clearing everything out. That is very important. Now, are you a fan of any of the supportive herbs or teas like dandelion root or milk thistle, things like that? Yeah, I love them. Um, I think dandelion root is amazing. Milk thistle is amazing. Curcumin is also very good. Burdock root is also great. Um, ginger. I would say the, the bitter herbs, um, you know, like digestive bitters, that's what they really do. When you're having digestive bitters, they stimulate the liver to start producing um, digestive enzyme bile um, and then digestive enzymes in the body, other ones. So any digestive bitter that is that tastes bitter. This could be ginger as well, or or orange peel. Um, all of those can stimulate the liver. So all of those can be great for the liver. Yes, that's great. I I love that. I actually really enjoy dandelion tea and I uh, or dandelion root tea, and even drink it cold this time of year. I just think it's um, I I feel better when I drink it, and I feel like my body like craves it. So I just have a little bit every day. Yeah, it's amazing, especially for somebody with constipation. It works very well. People with constipation have a very stagnant gallbladder bile flow, and dandelion root tea really helps with that. Tadka is also great. That's one of my most favorite supplements. Um, tadka thins the bile. It increases bile quality, and, and we want to make sure that the bile is really good and healthy because it does. It, it plays a very important role. So th those would be definitely my top picks. That's wonderful. So we've covered a lot of ground today. I'm sure people are going to have questions and want to learn more. Where can they find you? Uh, the best place to find me is on Instagram. That's where I connect with people the most. I have LinkedIn and all of that, but I don't really use them. So Instagram would be the place to go. Um, it'll be my first name and last name, P-A-O-L-A-X-H-U-L-I. Yes. And I'll link that in the show notes. And you do post so many helpful, just like information, both in your stories and on your feed, actually, you have a lot of helpful information that can help if somebody has questions. And if somebody wanted to work with you, could they just reach out to you through Instagram? Yeah, they can just send me a DM on Instagram or use my link to book a call with me, whatever works for them. Uh, but yeah, that would be definitely the best way to get in touch with me. 
Great. Well, thank you so much. I feel like I could have talked to you for probably twice as long about some of these things. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. This was wonderful. I love doing it. (laughs) 